At your house, what do you hear your mom and dad saying most often? Get off the couch. <laughs> Come over and do the dishwasher. <laughs> oh, go clean your room. Oh, hurry up, hurry up. You need to do your laundry. I'm not warning you again. Clean your room, do your chores. My dad says no. That's like all I hear. Okay. And what's your mom? My mom says like, hurry up. What have you done productive today? Clean up your desk. How did you not find that? I was right there. <laughs> Has anybody ever said anything that hurt your feelings? Um, you're so obnoxious. Really? All the time. I hear that maybe once a day. Those little comments stick with me all the time. This kid said I was a waste of life. Oh, really? It's just no one's a waste of life, in my opinion. That's right. What's the very favorite thing your mom and dad have said to you? That they're proud of me. Yeah. They say you're going to do great things one day. I love when my uh, mom and dad like say I'm awesome and cool and like they love me. I like to hear like, good job, well mm -hmm. done, congratulations, stuff like that. Yeah. I think it's I love you. Really? I really like that. My mom always tells me that like I'm the most determined. So that's always stuck with me. Like if I have a project, I just remember like I'm the most determined one. <laughs> if I actually want to get this done, I can do it. My dad tells me very frequently, and my mom, my mom tells me this a lot too. I'm glad you are my son. Mm -hmm. I, I just love that. Words are really, really powerful. We're going to talk about that today. My name is Danny Householder. I'm a pastor here at Lutheran Church of Hope. I'm so glad, so glad that we get to worship together. If we have never met before, I'd love to meet you. I usually hang out either in the lobby or in the hallway um, between services, and, and I would just love the opportunity to, uh, to get to know you. It says this in the book of James chapter 3, A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. Our tongues are sometimes the most dangerous things that we possess because words are absolutely powerful. Think about words and what they bring to your mind. When I say joy, when I say laughter, or when I say hate, when I say despise, when I say pain, different imagery comes to mind. And it's amazing how when you watch that video, these kids, as they're talking about the words that have shaped them and the words that have formed them, they're able to recall things, the tiny littlest details in conversations because it was a word that stood out to them. It's because words are powerful. Jesus said this in the book of Matthew, and he's actually quoting the prophet Isaiah on the next slide. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So oftentimes our words are just projections, and Jesus is intending for us to have our hearts meet our words. Oftentimes as Christians, we have these transformed hearts, but our lips don't match our hearts. Or sometimes our lips are really transformed because we believe, well, those words are powerful, but, but our hearts are far from that. Jesus continues and he says this, don't you understand yet? Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. He even goes on to say it's not by washing your hands that's going to make you clean. He's talking about the thing that is dirtiest about us it's revealed in the words that we say. One of the ways that I like to think about it is like this. Our words are the printers of our hearts. Our mouths are the printers of our hearts. Isn't that neat? I think that this has everything to do with the second commandment, which is the second week of our series called Ten Commandments in Nine Weeks. Our words are absolutely powerful. And in the second commandment, God gives us a command about what to do with our Words. Words are powerful. I want you to know this. No matter what you've heard, 
or all the words that have come into your ears and what words you have believed or what words you've left to the side. I want you to hear these words today. You are welcome here. You are loved here. You are valued here. You are a child of God. These are the words that ought to form you. These are the words that ought to shape you. And I also want you to know this, the words that you share with the people around you, as you saw in that opening clip, but I'm sure as you can think about in the examples of your own life, they certainly shape and form the people around you. Use them wisely. I think about the words that have transformed me the most in my life. I remember the first time my wife told me, I love you. I remember when my parents told me that they were proud of me. I remember when someone told me that they weren't proud of me. I remember when someone told me that I wasn't valuable. I remember when somebody made me feel by their words that I didn't matter. Our words absolutely shape us and form us. And so it should be no surprise that when God brings up the Ten Commandments, in the second commandment, God talks about the way we use our words. And the most powerful thing that we can do with our words is how we speak about God. How we speak about God shapes the way that we see the rest of the world, shapes the way that we see the rest of this life. It's the printer of our hearts. What we believe about God is what will come out of our mouths. God says this in the second commandment, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you, you, if you misuse his name. Now, I think that this is so interesting. Jesus, God says to us in this commandment, if you misuse his name, you will not go unpunished. I think that's so interesting because that little follow-up line doesn't show up when it talks about don't steal. It doesn't show up when it talks about don't kill. It doesn't show up when it talks about don't commit adultery. It doesn't show up when it talks about any other commandment. It says, if you misuse God's name, you will not go unpunished. And I wonder if some of us have to say, what's the big deal? I mean, my goodness. Well, first off, God's name is a really big deal. It says this in the book of Psalm. You heard this in the reading for today. Oh Lord, our Lord, your name, your majestic name fills all the earth. There's something powerful about God's name. God cares about his name and God cares about how we speak about God's name. I've oftentimes heard pastors say something along the lines of, well, when it gets to this commandment, just go ahead and give that sermon to somebody else because there's not a lot of material about it. I've even heard people say that this is the most undervalued commandment because Christians, sometimes we're the ones who break this one the most. We say things like, honest to God, swear to God. Sometimes we think that God's last name is damn, and I don't know how we do that. We get this wrong a lot. And we might ask ourselves, well, what's the big deal? Is God so sensitive that he can't take somebody might uh, misusing his name? Well, here's a question to ask today. What's in a name? I'll never forget, when I was a sophomore in high school, I was attending the funeral of a friend of mine who had just died of cancer. And his mom stood up in front of the entire congregation as she gave the eulogy she opened with, what's in a name? And then she spoke about her son, Jason. I will never forget that. There's something powerful about a name. And I think about all the names that I have in my life. Go ahead and take a look at some of these pictures. And these signify some of the names in my life. There's my wife and I, Abby. To her, I'm Danny. I'm, I'm, I'm husband, right? In the top corner, uh, there's our dog, Denver. I'm a father. <laughs> it's pathetic. It's so pathetic. Bottom left corner, I'm, I'm son to my parents. Bottom right corner, when, when I'm here, I'm, I'm Pastor Danny. And sometimes, I mean, I shudder a little bit when you call me Pastor Danny, because I, I know that there are things that I need to live up to, and that can be tough. On top left corner, on my wife's side of the family, we have a nephew named AJ, and to him, I'm, I'm Uncle Danny. And so what, what does a name do? A, a name identifies a relationship. 
Like a name is powerful because it identifies your relationship with somebody. And if you're misusing a name, you're misidentifying your relationship with that person. Do you know how strange and weird it would be if I called Abby Aunt Abby? That would be just awkward. Can you imagine how weird it would be if Abby called me Pastor Danny? Just be strange. Everyone would cringe. To misuse a name is to misidentify a relationship. And to misidentify a relationship is to misunderstand it. And to not get from it what you're really supposed to get and not put into it what you're really supposed to put into it. It is so important that when we use somebody's name, we use it in the right way. Because it is the foundation for our relationship with somebody. There was a human behavior expert considered the pioneer of human behavior. His name was Dale Carnegie, and he said it this way, a person's name is, that, uh, a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. The way that you say someone's name can absolutely change their life, or at the very least, their day. Maybe even just that moment, how they're feeling, because words are powerful, and the most important word that you can use for someone to shape them and to form them is what you call them and how you call them. Don't misuse God's name. It's the most important and beautiful sound to him in the same way that your name is the most important and beautiful sound to you. And so this starts to help us understand why it's so important that we don't use God's name in vain, that we don't say, oh my bleep, when we're just talking about shock, that we don't say things like, oh, I swear to God, when we're just trying to tell the truth. The Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need to assign God's name to that. Either it's true or it's not. Be a person of integrity. And I think sometimes when God's name is misused, we, he has the experience that we have when our name is misused. When I was in high school, I've told you this before, I was a wrestler. Clearly, it went really, really well. This was basically my life, just getting sucker punched in the gut over and over and over again. You can go ahead and take that picture off the screen and go back to the beautiful quote. I was humiliated when I was a sophomore in high school. It was my first year of wrestling, and it just so happened that we had a pretty good team, but at the 145 slot, there was nobody on the team who could fill that spot. And so here comes lanky Danny Householder, 145 pounds, skin and bones, onto the mat facing Goliath each and every night. It was painful, and it was embarrassing. I hated it. I hated going out there and every single night hearing the announcer say, and wrestling at 145 pounds for walkie, Danny Householder. And you hear like three claps. There was absolutely no respect to my name. I didn't deserve it and I didn't earn it. I was three and 23 that year as a wrestler. One of those wins was a forfeit. It was so embarrassing. But the most embarrassing part about it is when people would disrespect my name. And I get it. I don't want to blow this out of proportion. As a 15-year-old, I did not need my ego inflated. In fact, it was good for me to be wrestling to have my ego deflated a little bit. It brought me back into reality. But I remember at our 189-pound weight class, we had a wrestler. His name was Drew Love. And he was ranked in the top five throughout the whole year. And he made it to the state finals. And when he would get announced, and wrestling at 189 pounds for walkie, Drew Love! And everybody goes nuts. I think about the power and the respect and the authority that came with certain names. I can still remember 15 years later the names of these wrestlers who just wiped the floor with me. 
Michael Marino, Derek St. John, John Nicholson. These guys just made me look foolish and I'll never forget their name because of their power and their authority. And when I look at Michael Marino, I say, Mr. Marino, it's good to see you. And when they look at me, they say, who are you? <laughs> the way that we say somebody's name absolutely forms and shapes them, but the way that we say God's name shows how we respect God, how we honor God. It sets the establishment, the foundation for our relationship with God. When you call God, God, and you use it in worship, you are remembering the foundation of your relationship with God, that you belong to God, and that by the grace of God, he has said that he belongs to us. So let us revisit this commandment. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Do not misidentify your relationship with him. This is not a name to be flippantly used. This is not a name that on social media we leave lowercase g. And I'm sorry, but it just makes me cringe. I think I'm venting right now. But if you are lowercasing g in God on social media because it's an aesthetic and it looks nicer, you are completely getting your priorities wrong. Okay, there's like three of you maybe who I needed to give that to. And I don't know who you are, I promise. This is... Big G God. This is creator of the universe God. This is not God and we say, oh yeah, sure, I use God's name in vain. Sure, I say God when I say a swear word, but it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Because what's coming out of your mouth reflects what's in your heart. And what you call God and how you call God that name, it reflects what you believe about God in your heart. Now, there's something really interesting about what it means to misuse the name of God. Because, yes, it's about our word, but sometimes our word does not match our deed. And I think that this is important, too. Here's how it looks in Hebrew. Could we go ahead and read this together uh, every single time? That joke gets old. But anyway, so I've highlighted the two words that make up the word misuse in our English translation. Specifically, this was the NLT that we read out of today. Let's go ahead and look at the two words that make up misuse. The first one is nasa. Go ahead and say nasa. And nasa is to lift, carry, and take. And the other one is shav. Go ahead and say shav. And shav is emptiness or vanity. And so this commandment is literally saying, do not carry God's name into emptiness. Don't carry God into meaninglessness. Don't handle God's name flippantly. Don't pretend like it's nothing. There is holiness to God's name. If you were to go and see the Mona Lisa, you would see a a gate around it. You'd see a border because it's something that is holy. It's something that should be protected. It's not something that people should stand up and touch and put their fingerprints on and, and write all over. And this kind of helps us understand why in devoted Jewish circles, even today, when they spell God's name, they won't spell God's name. Instead, it will just be G-D. The reason why they will do that is because they do not want to even come close to misusing God's name. And if they were to write God's name, there's a chance that someone might crinkle that paper or rip it or throw it away. And they do not want to carry God's name or be a part of carrying God's name into vanity, into meaninglessness, into something that doesn't matter. They have this holy understanding of God's name. And so what are they doing? It's the same thing that we do with the Mona Lisa. They say, this is something that deserves reverence. This is something that deserves honor. So a question that I have for you today, where are you taking God's name? There are certain places where God's name does not belong. 
God's name does not belong next to a swear word. God's name also does not belong next to our swearing statements that promise people we're telling them the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a person of integrity. God's name also doesn't belong next to something that we're trying to convince someone for. For example, I do not get to stand up here in front of you today and say, because God told me you have to do it. I hope that by the time that I retire, there are five times, I can count on one hand how many times I say, God told me. Instead, you will hear me up here say something along the lines of, I believe God says this. I believe that this is God's word. When it says it in the Bible, I'll read it to you. But when I believe God's given me a word, I have to handle that humbly. I have to be surrounded by accountability. Otherwise, I am manipulating the name of God. And it's true, sometimes pastors will use it, but we also hear politicians use it. We also hear athletes use it. We also hear parents use it. We also hear children use it. We also even hear dating prospects use it. It's when somebody walks up to you after church, says, God laid it on my heart, I'm supposed to marry you. Probably not. <laughs> As Pastor Richard at our West Des Moines campus says, sometimes it's important to understand the difference between the Holy Spirit and the pizza you ate last night. <laughs> sometimes it's the pizza. And it's important that we don't take God, that we don't carry God's name into places where God's name does not belong. We need to show awe and reverence for God's name. God's name is powerful, and it's even more powerful than what we think. It says this in the book of Exodus, when God introduces himself with his name. I think that this is really amazing. This is the first time that God says his name in the scriptures. It's in a conversation with Moses. It's one of the most famous scenes in the entire Bible. It's Moses and the burning bush. It says this in Exodus chapter 3. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God is saying this to Moses because God is saying, Moses, I want you to be the one who frees my people. By the time that Moses frees God's people, God is going to now deliver the Ten Commandments. And so I want to highlight what I said last week. God does not give us commandments so that we become free. God frees us and says these commandments are how free people live. We do not free ourselves by following God's rules. God has freed us and now we are free to live as God intended for this creation to exist. So Moses is saying, well, who am I supposed to say sent me? If I'm really supposed to free God's people, what does that look like? And God says, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Grammatically, that makes no sense whatsoever. But when God is saying, I am has sent you, he is saying, I am the one who always has been. I am the one who always will be. I am. As the burning bush does not burn up, he is the self-sustaining self being who does not need fuel in order to continue to fuel himself. He's the burning bush that doesn't burn up the bush because he doesn't require fuel. He doesn't require to be created. He does the creating. I am has sent me to you. And then he gives himself this name. I am in the Hebrew it is literally Echyeh. And then God gives him a name that comes out of that phrase, out of that saying, and it is Yahweh. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors has sent you. So Yahweh, God's name means I am. It is absolutely powerful. It is the thing that has brought everything into existence. This name. Do we understand this? When we say God's name, we're not just verbally identifying God. God's name is the essence of who God is. The essence of God is I am. I've always been. No one can take me. No one can pull me. That means no one can take God from you. No one can pull God from you. No one ever created God. God doesn't bow down to anybody. We bow down to God. And as the book of Revelation tells us, one day all of creation will bow down. Yahweh is I am. 
Yahweh is the one who created everything. Yahweh is uninfluenced. Yahweh is totally self-sustaining. So when we misuse the name of God, when we devalue the name of God, do you know what we're doing? When we devalue the name of God, we are devaluing all of creation. To devalue the creator, we are devaluing the creator's creation. To devalue a painter who's created these marvelous and wonderful works, say, you know what, they're not that great. Well, then that takes a look at the beautiful painting in the Mona Lisa and says, you know what, it's not that great because it was made by someone who's not that great. When we say to God, your name doesn't matter that much, so I don't have to actually be careful about how I say it. What are we saying about creation? Creation doesn't matter that much. It doesn't matter how I handle it. It does. Are you starting to see how the way that we handle and use and speak God's name will absolutely change the way that we live our lives? It will transform our actions. It will transform our words. It will transform our deeds. But I want you to know this too. It will also transform your heart. It will transform you from the inside out. Because let's go ahead and revisit the commandment again. And I want to start to get to the end of this sermon by, by highlighting the end of what God said. This is in Exodus chapter 3, excuse me, this, isn't, this is before the command, the same conversation with Moses. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I want to focus on that name, Jacob. God gives himself a name, Yahweh, I am. And then God associates with human names. Isn't that interesting? Do you remember how God introduced the Ten Commandments? God said, I am the Lord your God. God associates his name with us. Now, specifically here, he associates his name with a man named Jacob. You know who Jacob is? Jacob is a really famous figure in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Genesis. This is the first time that we meet Jacob in Genesis chapter 25. He had a twin brother. His name was Esau, and Esau was named, was born first. It says, the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Jacob literally means heel grabber. So to the Jacobs in the room this morning, welcome. Don't let go. Jacob did a good job of living up to his name throughout his entire life. He's always grabbing for something. He's always grasping for something. Another way of describing heel grabber is to be a deceiver, a manipulator, always getting what he can from every single situation. And as you read the stories about Jacob throughout his life, you see he's living up to his name. What does he do? It says at one point he wants his brother Esau as the firstborn. He wants the brother's birthright. And so he manipulates his brother by cooking him some delicious food. And Esau comes in and he's so hungry. And Jacob says, I'll give you this meal that I prepared if you give me your birthright. He manipulates him. He deceives him. And he gets it. And then later on... Uh, Jacob wants Esau's blessing again as the firstborn. And so he manipulates his father, Isaac, and he shows up to Isaac and he pretends like he's Esau and he manipulates his dad. He continues to grab. He takes what he can. And Isaac gets confused and instead he blesses Jacob rather than blessing Esau. He's manipulated. He's heel grabbed. He's living up to his name. He is exactly what they've called him. He is Jacob. Because of the way that Jacob had lived his life, he had to flee, he had to run, because Esau was going to kill him. Eventually, he was really, really mad about this. 
Jacob goes off and he lives with his uncle Laban, who's just as much of a manipulator, just as much of a deceiver, just as much of a heel grabber as Jacob. One day, Jacob and Esau are going to meet again. Jacob continues to live up to his name and he knows that Esau is showing up and he's coming with an entire army and Jacob thinks, surely my brother is going to kill me. He's finally going to finish this off. He's so mad. He's paying me back for being my name, for heel grabbing, for manipulating, for deceiving. I am what they call me. And so he sends his family to go out on the front lines. Again, he's just grabbing at whatever he can, hanging on to whatever he can. And then the text tells us that Jacob was alone. And it was when Jacob was alone that God got a hold of him. The text tells us that Jacob fell asleep. He has this dream. And in this dream, he's actually wrestling with God. And he's grabbing. And he's gritty. And he's doing absolutely everything that he can to make it out alive. This is who Jacob is. He'll grab for anything. The angel of the Lord, God, asks Jacob, what is your name? And it kind of feels like maybe he's asking Jacob a deeper question than just what do people verbally identify you as? What's your name? Who are you? It's a question for you to answer today. What's your name? Who are you? Not just the verbal identification. What's the essence of you? How would you fill in this blank? I am blank. What's your name? In my life and in my experiences with people, here are some of the names that come to my mind. Here's how we often answer it. One, I am broken. Anybody ever answer, who are you? I'm broken. Maybe you answer it like this, I am weak. Maybe you say, I am unforgivable. This is what they call me. This is how I live. Maybe you say, I am unlovable. Maybe you say, I am alone. This is the essence of who I am. We could go slide by slide by slide, but here are some of the others. Do you identify with any of these things when people say, who are you? What's the thing that your heart is trying to get out of your mouth because it knows that it's true about what you really believe? What's the name that you've given yourself based on the way that people identify you? I am stupid, ugly, disgusting, worthless, anxious, depressed, boring, inept, dull, hopeless, helpless, pathetic, selfish, useless, disappointing, disappointed, hateful, hated. Is anybody identifying with anything yet? Shameful, lame, dirty, irrelevant, incapable, bad, sick, used goods, washed up, wasteful, cynical, stubborn, impatient, a mess, tired, afraid, tense, a mistake. What is your name? Do you identify with any of those things? Jacob is in a wrestling match and he's asked, what you've been wrestling with in your heart? I feel like I relate to this story. 
because I know what it's like to feel like I'm getting beat up in a wrestling match. It was probably like three-fourths of the way through the season, and I finally broke down my sophomore year. I got pinned again at Winterset High School. And it took everything out of me to stand up in front of everyone, walk to the center of the mat, shake the kid's hand, see his hand go up, and just walk off. I left the gym, I walked into the cafeteria, and I sat at a lunch table by myself in a singlet, <laughs> crying, embarrassed, alone. Nobody respects me. And as I'm sitting there, I hear these footsteps, and I see this figure, and as he gets closer, I see that it's my dad. And he sits at the table across from me. And uh, my dad oftentimes had legal pads with him. So he takes sermon notes a lot. And um, he had a legal pad with him and he put it in front of me. He said, write your name down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I know you can't really see it, but I, I wrote, Danny. And Tacey goes, no, 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 that's what people call you. What's the name your mom and I gave you? And he wrote, Daniel. So do you know what Daniel means? There's another famous character in the Old Testament, Daniel in the lion's den. But Daniel wasn't just this verbal identification of a man who lived a long time ago. Daniel, the true meaning of that word, the sound that to me is more beautiful and sweeter than any other sound in all of English, it literally means God is my judge. And it's such a silly and goofy example that I even feel funny talking about because it's just high school wrestling. But when you're 15 years old and you consistently go out in front of hundreds of people and nobody expects you to do anything good and everyone disrespects your name and everyone's waiting for you to get pinned, you start to question yourself. You start to wonder who you are. You start to feel like a lot of those things on that list. My dad said, Danny, you are Daniel. I don't care whose hand gets raised at the end of a match. God is your judge and God has deemed you good. Whether your name is Daniel or not, God has deemed you good. Come on, it's okay to finally just say your name, to finally just say who you are. God asks Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob answers back. He's done answering back, oh, I'm Esau. Oh, I'm the firstborn. Oh, I'm the manipulator. Oh, I'm going to grab it whatever I can. Finally, he just answers plain and simple, I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob, and you have to bless me, it says. You have to bless me. You have to love me. You don't have to love the manipulator. You don't have to love the deceiver. You don't have to love the one that's, that's grasping. You don't have to love the firstborn that I've been trying to be. I need you to love, and I need you to bless Jacob. I need you to bless Jacob. And it's so incredible. It says there in the text, then he blessed Jacob right there. Right there. 
And he gives him a new name. He calls him Israel, the father of God's people. But when it talks about using God's name the right way, calling him Yahweh, calling him I am, the sustainer of all life, God says, I'm the God of Jacob. It's the God of you. The God whose name we keep holy. He loves you. He loves your name. And not just the verbal identification of it. He loves the essence of who you are. It gives us this new access to him. In the book of Galatians, it, it tells us a new name for God. God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us. And the Ten Commandments are how free people live. Bought freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Abba was this beautiful Aramaic word that quite literally meant Daddy or Papa. What has Jesus done? Jesus has removed the rope that stood between us and God. As you get close, you call him what I call him. I want you to pay attention to the close deals of d- details of his creation. When you pay close attention to the close details of his creation, you will start to notice yourself in that. And you'll start to see what God says about you. There are all those words and all those associations that we identify with, but here's what God says about us. Here are the names God gives to us, not just the verbal identifiers, but the essence of who we are. I am not broken, but in Jesus I am whole. I am not weak, but in Jesus, I am strong. I am not unforgivable, but in Jesus, I am forgiven. I am not unlovable, but in Jesus, I am beloved. I am not alone. In Jesus, I am a child of God. And to be a child of God, these are the names that you are given in Scripture. The righteousness of God, a new creation, a masterpiece, redeemed, welcome, holy, blameless, blessed, chosen, royal, a priest, victorious, light, a friend of God, courageous, protected, fearful, wonderful, marvelous, complex, free. Are you seeing why it's so important to identify God with the correct name and in the correct way? It will change your entire being. It will change your entire self. It will change your understanding of yourself. And then it will change your understanding of this entire creation. Once you truly know who the creator is and call him for what he is. And we call him for what he is because we believe it in our hearts. And our words are the printers from our hearts. Jesus tells us what comes from your heart is what's on your lips. And what's on your lips is what's in your heart. So when we think about calling God the name right, To worship the name of God is to honor God's creation. Honor God's creation. Don't manipulate. Don't grab what you can. Don't promise in the name of God. God's given you dignity. God's given you integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Worship the name of God by honoring God's creation. It's not just the verbal identification of who he is, but truly it is the essence of who he is. And the essence of who he is is your father. Hear the words that God has for you. Wonderful, beautiful, fearful, complex, beloved, child of God, free. Let's live like free people.
Let's call God who God is. And by knowing who God is, we'll get to honor the rest of God's creation. Would you stand on up? Let's sing a song together. Amen.